I uh, couldn't find the easel, and I asked a number of people if they knew where it was. So if any of you know where it was, it's still not too late to find the easel and put this up here. I know you're all sitting here, so you wouldn't know where to get it. Anyway, I'm going to put this right here for now. If any of you want to come up here and, and hold it up for me, you're welcome to do that. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> but such a willing heart. Oh, I just love it. Just, uh, such a willing heart. I, um, I think about someone who uh, made a big impact on me many, many years ago. When I first came to Christ, he was, I was at a Christian and Missionary Alliance church. And at this church, they have elders. And this gentleman, his name is Gordon, and he, he was just a really um, a man of God. And he was just a highly respected person. All the, all the elders were, of course. This particular man, I remember the way he spoke, the way he talked and, and walked. And um, even the way he prayed, we would spend a lot of time in prayer. And I can still hear his voice, the way he prayed. And it was a model for me being able to, to enter into that place of prayer with this man. And I think about how he cared for individuals, how he went and visited people. And I, you know, I wasn't even near being a pastor. I never even thought about being a pastor back then. But those are things that really affected me in my walk with Christ. He also had a sense of righteousness, rightness, if you will, that he would be willing to speak words of correction to me whenever that was necessary and speak words of correction to people. And I thought, this is a really neat thing. You know, when we see people, they tend to be, you have people who are willing to speak words of correction all the time, and they tend to be just the critical people. And you have people who are really encouraging all the time, but they never say anything critical. And so even if you, you could be a, an axe murderer or something, they wouldn't say anything. And they, we tend to be on these one side or the other. And here was a man who was so balanced. And I thought, wow, this is really a, a wonderful, a, a wonderful uh, man to, that was a model in my life. And to this day, as I think about this sermon that I'm going to give today, it's his face and his name that comes to my mind. And I th when I think about an elder, I think this is the kind of person that comes to my mind. And I, I still long to be that kind of person. And uh, I always thought he was really old. Okay, so when I went to that church, I was in my mid-20s, right? And I calculated back how old was he when he was at this church, and he was in his mid-50s. But I always thought of him as really old. You know how it is, right? Everybody older than you is old, right? And uh, now, the, now that I'm in my early 60s, I still think of him as really old. <laughs> and uh, he, passed, he has since passed away, but he has been a model in my life. And I thought, you know, it's really neat to see a model like this because models are, are what we latch on to. And they make an impression upon us, and they set a course, they set a pathway for us to follow. And it makes us easier to follow in these footsteps. Of course, it's good to ha that this model is a good model 
Because if it's a bad model, it's easy to follow in those footsteps too. An abusive father or a, a critical mother or an older brother that leads you in paths that are just wrong ways. It's easy to follow in these models that we have. And so I, 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 I reflected back upon what is it like to follow a model. And as we go into our, the sermon today, the sermon is entitled Social Covenant, God's Gift, God's Grief, and God's Grace. In Genesis chapter 2 and 3, what we have is a model, a model unlike we see anywhere else in the Bible. And I think it's a beautiful picture of how God wants us to be and how our relationship is with Him. So as we begin, let's go to Him in prayer. Our Father, thank You that You are our model. We thank You that You have given us just a, a, an incredible picture of your love and in perfect intent for humanity as you created not just humans but the entire world. And how you, you, you poured your heart into your creation. And Father, as we also know very, very well that as Adam and Eve fell into sin, you did not leave them there, but you moved in with your grace. Help us today, Lord, to understand your amazing gift, your deep grief, and your marvelous grace. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Last week, we saw in Genesis, and we also went into the book of Genesis and through many other chapter, many other parts of the Bible, a, a picture of God and what His nature is like. So we saw clearly how the Bible speaks of a God, one God, that exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we have God in three persons, these persons are not the same person acting on a stage, different roles, but rather they're really three distinct persons as far as how God has revealed himself to us. And we need to understand and embrace that simply because that is what God revealed himself as. We might not understand it. I'm sure we will not understand it. If you understand it, you come and let me know so I can find out how that works. But it transcends our understanding. But we find in the triune God interrelationships between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And these interrelationships reveal that there's no blockage, just a, just a, a close oneness together, no inhibitions. They have complementary role, roles. They, they serve, they do different things, and each of them has a different role that they play. There's complete respect and honor for the other persons. In a word, love. So when John says in 1 John chapter 4 that God is love, God has been love before there was anything in creation to love. That love existed among the persons of the Trinity. Isn't that awesome? 
So as we begin our looking into the social covenant, what we call the social covenant, I'm just going to hold this up. We're going to be putting this up in various places. And it's a little bit tricky because we have to figure out how to do this. Um, but be looking for this, especially for the, the Nichigo has not seen this too much yet. And so I know it's probably too small for you to see, but when you have a chance, kind of take a look at this, okay? And uh, we will have this up in different places around the church. So our social covenant is not exactly the same as the Trinity because we are sinful. The persons of the Trinity are not sinful, so they don't have some of the problems we have. And so we work, as, as God gives us His instructions, He gives us instructions on how we ought to work with each other so that we can help one another move toward being more like the triune relationships, that beautiful Trinity relationships. And in John 17, John's, I mean, Jesus' prayer is that we will be one, that, that we will be one together, we will be one with God. Hey, there you go. Oh, sorry, I'm interrupting. The, those of you on audio, if you're listening to the recording, Darren just brought in the, um, the, the tripod. Okay, so the easel. Thank you, sir. And... Uh, Good thing he came off of sabbatical. Is that enough? Can we make it narrower? How about make it narrow? Huh? Okay, I'll keep talking while he does that, okay? So, we have, we have issues that God doesn't have to deal with. But still the process is working ourselves back to God. All of this really is God's grace, if we were to think about it. God gives us this gift God's grief, His heart interacting with us is a form of His grace. And finally, lifting us up is a form of His grace. Let's get into this in Genesis chapter 2. You can take a look at this in your notes page. I am going to do just a highlight of Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. This is not going to be a deep dive. There is lots and lots of things we can learn in these two chapters. I want to mainly look at those things that apply to our relationships. Okay, so first of all, God gives life. God gives all kinds of life. In Genesis chapter 1, He created the trees, plants, animals, and all of these things in, in the air, in the sea. And uh, God created Adam to work. God gives the blessing of companionship. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone, and so God made him a companion. That would be Eve. There's no perfect companion for, for uh, Adam and Eve. Now, in this pre-fall, before they fell into sin state, there would be no emotional baggage. There would be no insecurities, no fears, no inhibitions, or hiding. Now today, we know what that means to have emotional baggage, don't we? We know what it is to not feel that this person is safe. And so I'm going to have to hide a part of me. But can you imagine what it was like in the Garden of Eden before the fall? What a blessing that is. And, and uh, God gives responsibility. 
and purpose to life. God didn't just leave the animal there, I mean, Adam and Eve there. He gave them something to do. And that something to do was to work the garden. Work the garden. Tend to the garden. Take care of God's creation. And Adam and Eve were basically farmers. And in, a, in an environment where everything worked in favor of Adam and Eve. Isn't that just a beautiful thought? He also gave them, uh, part of that responsibility was authority. God gave them authority and dominion over all of the plants and animals and creatures. And in other words, he had to care for them. God gave them care over all of the animals and, and a peace. You can have a sense of peace that God's care for the, uh, Adam's care for the animals are not going to be some really harsh disciplinary type of uh, condition because there was no need for that. Adam simply, as he, uh, in the later chapter of Genesis, the next, the next few chapters, Adam would actually would call, not the later chapter, Genesis 2, God, Adam would call the animals to himself. The animals just came to Adam. Instead of the animals running away, they just came to Adam, and Adam would name the animals. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Animal, animals didn't run away from him like they do to us today. Adam was also what we would call a federal head. Federal head. Now, where many people are really not used to that term. What I'm going to simplify that to simply say, Adam was a representative. Adam was a representative of all humanity. He was also a representative of all of creation. So that in, in Romans chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the, um, the apostle Paul would say, when Adam sinned, sin entered the whole world. So, Adam was given this responsibility, and when he blew it, all of creation felt the pain of the entrance of sin into the world through death and animosity and hostility. Now, okay, we're not going to go there just yet. We're going to go there a little bit more. But just remember, Adam is given this authority over everything. Isn't that incredible? Adam was also given broad freedom. Broad freedom. There was a million ways to please God and to do what Adam wanted. And only one way to not please God. There was only one command for Adam to not do. And what was that command? App apple. Okay. <laughs> don't apple. Okay. More specifically, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay. Don't eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. That was just one thing, Adam. One thing don't do. All these other things you can enjoy. Just don't do this one thing. It reminds me of my days as a parent of an adolescent or a, a child. You have all of these toys to play with. You have all of these blessings. You can go to the beach and all of these things. Just don't do this. And what does a child do? Does that. So, and there are a lot of ways we can go with that. I'm just going to leave it at that. God gave Adam the blessing of provision. So many provisions in this, in this world. 
God gave to Adam. Wow. God gave Adam the responsibility and the blessing of procreation to having children. Can you imagine Adam and Eve in this perfect world having children and the children don't disobey you? All of you who are parents know what I'm talking about. When uh, you're trying to raise your kids, you're thinking, what a beautiful world that would be if our kids just listened to us and we just got along real well. God also gave Adam accountability and consequences. Accountability and consequences. And again, there was just one rule. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God gave Adam, through his freedom and accountability, the blessing of loving God back. This is a really, really important one. Because if Adam and Eve did not have the real, real choice to not choose God, to obey God, if Adam and Eve only could, could love God and, and, and care for God and without any choice, would Adam and Eve truly have love for God? So God gave Adam and Eve the real ability to love God back. Yes, God loved Adam and Eve, but now Adam and Eve can love him back. So this is God-based social interaction. That would, would look, that's what it would look like in a perfect world. And uh, that was God's original intent. And we can see this better picture of God's relational nature. And even without Genesis 2, there is something within every person. If you never read Genesis 2, there would be something in every person that would know how a healthy relationship is supposed to be like. And if you didn't know exactly what a healthy relationship is supposed to be like, you would certainly know when you saw an unhealthy one, a relationship that didn't foster trust and care and, and uh, faith in one another and dependence on each other and love. So you, as you already know, as I'm talking about Genesis 2, I'm sure you're running in your own mind how we humans fall short of God's relational nature. We fall short of that original plan that God gave us we spend so much time in this fallen world that we really pretty much don't believe that a beautiful origin was ever real. And we relegate instead Genesis 2 and 3 to the place of debate. Is Genesis 2 and 3, is it, is it literal or is it figurative? And, and instead we're arguing about this very specific tenets of certain verses and what it means and things like that. And we missed the whole big picture of why God gave us Genesis 2 and 3. God gave us Genesis 2 and 3 so that he can see how a, a, a wonderful and pure relationship is supposed to be like. He also gave us a picture of what happens when we fall. What about our relationship when we fall? So we all know that Adam and Eve was deceived by the serpent in the garden the serpent came to Eve 
and, and their serpent said that you're not going to surely die when you eat this fruit. Rather, God is trying to shortchange you. He knows that if you eat of this, your eyes will be open and you will know the, the uh, good and evil. And, uh, and God's really just trying to jip you. He's kind of cheating you. And that's what Satan said. That's what the devil said. And we look at, we know that the serpent is the devil. The serpent is a biblical character of the devil, the dragon, and Satan. All the same, same person who's now, now all, all he can do, by the way, listen to this very carefully, all he can do is tempt us. He cannot make us do anything. So when we hear the words, when we go into what's, what happened when man fell, we're going to hear a lot of blame going on. Before we get into that, I just want to say in this little box on your note page, that one that says, who's to blame? Who's to blame for this whole thing? I'm, I take Genesis chapter 2 and 3 for what it is, for what it says. In other places of the Bible, it says, I'll just read this from Ezekiel. God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. In Jeremiah, he says, offering your children in the fire to Baal is a thing I have never commanded or spoke of, nor did it ev even enter my mind. 1 Peter 3.9, Peter says that God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. So this is where it is. God does not want or intend anyone to die, for anyone to die. He never intended that. Nonetheless, he had to give Adam and Eve some kind of freedom. So whatever you think about God, God knows all things, but there are some things that simply do not originate with God. How do we know that? Because God said so. Okay, can we say that? God said so. Let's say that together. God said so. Okay, very good. Um, so, let's go to Genesis 3 now. This is where God's grief enters in. God's grief, but His grace. So we know this story about Adam's sin. Adam is the federal head. He sinned. He is even the, the, the authority over Eve. And so when Adam sinned, Eve sinned and all their children sinned. So unfortunately, despite this perfect environment, what Adam did was say no to God. I know what you said. I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to obey the serpent. And when Adam obeyed the serpent, took his devotion from being under God to obeying the serpent, God, I mean, Adam took all his dominion, all the things that were placed under his authority, and now moved it to the authority of Satan. That's why in the New Testament, when, when the serpent tempts Jesus, the, when the devil says, all of this, he looks at the, all of the nations and the, and the kingdoms of the world, he says, all of this, I will give you, Jesus, if you bow down to me. Satan has control of all of that. First John, in the book of First John, John says that all, 
that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. It comes from Genesis 1 and 2. And so now we live in this broken place. And so what do we find out about man? Man here, God, I mean, Adam desired what God didn't give him. Adam desired what God did not give him. God gave him all kinds of things. But God, but Adam desired this one thing. Do we do that today? Maybe it's because Adam is our federal head, our representative. Adam evaded responsibility, and then he experienced shame. So instead of taking responsibility for his sin, he felt shame, he hid, he blame-shifted, and he lied. So all of this in one misleading statement. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. The woman you put here with me, who's he blaming? God. God, you put, you put the woman here with me. Your fault. If you didn't put the woman here, I would not have fallen. Who had to take the fruit and actually bite into it, Adam? Ah. Uh, did, did Eve make you eat it? Ah. Uh, all she did was give it to you. Adam, you made the decision to eat it. And he's trying to hide behind this. You know why, why else? The woman, he says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. Well, what Adam doesn't say is, I was right there when the serpent deceived Eve. I was right there. If you look in the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, it says, Adam was there when it happened. Oh, I kind of missed that detail, God. The problem is God already knows. And so instead of taking responsibility, Adam hides, he blame shifts, and he lies. What does taking responsibility... Now, okay, that is what taking responsibility does not look like. So I ask a question. What does taking responsibility look like? So when God asks Adam if he ate of the tree, what should Adam have said? Okay. Okay, A, B, C, D. No, just kidding. Uh, here, if God, when God asked, did you eat of the tree I commanded you not to eat of? What should Adam have said? Yes. I ate it. Instead of all this rigmarole and things, and it's like Adam's needs an attorney to represent him, trying to find some some loophole to get out of it. The problem is God already knows. Man transfers his authority and dominion to Satan. And here's how God replies, responds to this. God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day and he calls out, Adam, where are you? Where are you? We find God pursuing Adam and Eve. Instead of rejecting and running away from Adam and Eve, God pursues Adam and Eve, even though they disobeyed. He stoops to their, their level. He looks for them, and you can, you can hear the voice of God, the grief in his voice as he calls out to Adam. He knows that there is now a separation in their 
once close fellowship. And he is now longing for a reunion. God pursues Adam and Eve. God also pursues the truth. How does he do that? God asks questions. Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat of the tree, uh, uh, of the tree that I commanded you not to eat of? He asks Eve as well. Who, who told you to eat of this fruit? He did the same thing. God asks questions. It's a voice of inquiry. Even though God knows the answer, he is asking a question. He gives Adam and Eve a chance to explain to them what the truth is. And those of you with parents know this all too well. You, have a, you leave a child at home, and uh, when you come back, something is out of order, something is broken, and you say, how did that get broken? I don't know. As a parent, you already know how, what happened. Likewise, Adam gives them a chance. And then Adam, got, I mean, God gives them a chance. God also disciplines Adam and Eve. There, were, uh, there was accountability. Now God has to issue discipline. That once open, innocent relationship that they had is now broken, has died. There's death also to that original package in Genesis 2. But get this. At the, toward the end of Genesis 3, God covers over Adam and Eve's shame with skin. When Adam and Eve first sinned, they tried to cover up their nakedness by sewing fig leaves together and get these trees and branches and try to hide themselves. God actually moved in with a covering himself. And this would be skin, which means there was a price of blood. This act of God to cover their shame foreshadows the animal sacrifice and it foreshadows Jesus' sacrifice of death to cover our shame. This is grace. This is grace. Jesus absorbs your shame and my shame, your sins and my sins on the cross. It's God's grace that speaks the truth about our sins. It says your action was sinful. It's God's grace that issues a discipline in our lives that wants to correct us. It's God's grace that issues the, 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 the pathway to restoration. Restoration, reconciliation and confession and forgiveness. God's grace enables us to do all of that. And finally, it is God's grace that enables us to be transformed. If you look in that box in the, uh, on your notes. And all of this comes from faith. How do you mean? What do you mean, Stan? When God wants to bring truth to the matter, he wants to turn on the light of an area that you want to be in darkness in, it takes 
F-A-I-T-H, faithfulness, you have to stay in the game. If you want to run away like a cockroach when the truth comes out, you will not be transformed. If you want to run away when judgment comes and God says, that was a sin, you will not be transformed. If you want to run away when consequences come out, then you will not be transformed. If you want to run away when time to reconciliation, this is what you need to, this is where you sinned. You need to apologize to that person. If you don't want to do that, then you will not be transformed. If the person who is receiving that apology does not want to forgive you, then you will not be transformed. Healing and restoration. If you don't want healing and restoration, and that takes the longest time, it's the most difficult, really. It's hard. You wrestle in your own heart. God, what do I do? You will not be transformed. But if you're willing to do this, if you're willing to stay in it through faithfulness and availability, you're available to God to change you, and you take initiative, and then you are teachable, and you say, God, I apply my heart here. I'm in. You will be transformed. God will transform your life and you will be free. It's amazing how people, when they come into the light, God washes them, how free they become. As the band comes up, I'd like to just highlight that since the beginning, throughout history, including today and tomorrow, God is still in the process of restoring the shattered image of God. And he calls us to participate with him in this mission. This is God's amazing grace. And if you know God's amazing grace, you don't need to grasp for what you don't have in the first place. God has covered your sin and your shame and disgrace with the price of the blood of Jesus. Father, we are very much like Adam and Eve. Our first reaction when we sin is we want to hide. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to know that your grace covers over everything. You've given us example after example in the Bible of your grace covering over every manner of sin. May we trust in you, Lord, that you want us to grow in your grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.